Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast series, and my name is Carl Vredenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits, to optimize your life, in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 35, and the topic for this particular installment is presentations. Now, I did do an episode some number ago, I think it was episode number 10, on public speaking. So I would suggest if you haven't listened to that one, to listen to that one as well to get the big picture view of everything that's relevant to the topic around presentations. But this one will then be focused specifically on doing presentations and doing them well. Let's start with some quotes. Wayne Burgraff says, it takes one hour of presentation for each minute of presentation time. Philip Crosby says, the audience only pays attention as long as you know where you're going. Ira Hayes says, no one ever complains about a speech being too short. Gerald Myers says, humor heals the heckler. An unknown author says, the human brain starts working the moment you are born and never stops until you stand up to speak in public. And lastly, Guy Kawasaki says, a PowerPoint presentation should have 10 slides, last no more than 20 minutes, and contain no font smaller than 30 point. So some great thoughts to get us started on this overall topic of presentations. And the reason that I chose this topic as well is that anybody that is in a situation in a work setting and a setting with regard to working in a school, either as a teacher or as a parent, as well as students uh, that are in school as well, and almost any other parts of life, you end up some of the time having to do presentations. And some people spend a lot of their time doing presentations, and so they will tend to be looking for ideas for improving their effectiveness in doing presentations. Others will do them very infrequently and as a result not be all that experienced in doing presentations and will want to get some good pointers to really get started on it well. And and then there are some that haven't done presentations really at all yet. You know, if you're early on in your career or you're early on in your time at university, for example, you may not have done you know, very many presentations at all, and we would really like to know where to start. So I've tried to cover my 10 topics or 10 suggestions for this particular episode around all of those uses and all of those contexts. So let's start with the top 10 list. And the number one is audience. Know who you'll be presenting to. Think about what they will expect of you. And think, too, about what you know about them. What do you know with regard to what their preferences are? What do they already know about this topic? What can you assume? What kinds of things do they really not like? You want to really, I think, get some really good understanding of those kinds of aspects of the audience you'll be presenting to before you actually prepare your presentation. There are instances when, for example, somebody will do a presentation to an audience that already has seen 
virtually all of what you're presenting before. And if that's the case, then, you know, they're going to be bored and you're not going to be effective. Uh, in fact, if you knew that they already had that information, you could build on and just do a little quick reminder of what they'd seen, you know, in the past. So get to know what your audience is all about with regard to the topic you're, pre you're presenting about. And also get a sense of what kinds of things they prefer. You know, is it the case that uh, they're really kind of allergic to things that are a bit too busy, that are a little too flashy? Do they tend to have a perspective that somebody that comes in and, and just has a really flashy presentation that people like that don't really know what they're talking about? They're trying to cover up some uh, deficit in the content that they're providing? Do they prefer something that's much more to the point? Do they prefer perhaps not even using, you know, slides? Or is it the case that conversely, that the audience uh, really appreciates, in fact, demands some real good design in the presentation slides that you'll be using and that there's a fairly high bar for quality of, uh, of presentation material. And if you were to come in with a, a very, very simple presentation, that would be kind of out of context that way as well. So I don't want to put too much on this. You shouldn't get hung up on it. But I find that a lot of people start preparing a presentation just, okay, what's the first slide? Let's get going. And don't do, I think, enough thinking about who the audience is and what are they all about. Number two is objectives. Think about what do you want to have different? What do you want to have changed as a result of your presentation. Think about the audience that I just talked about and think about the topic that you're going to be presenting and what do you want in their minds to be different when you've sat down from doing your presentation as compared to when you stood up. So what really is your objective or what are your objectives? Do you want them to simply know about this topic more, be sensitive to it, be aware of it? Do you want them to do something? Is it your intention to really provide a, a call to action that after the presentation you give, people go off, will go off and do something? Will they go buy your product? Will they all be in favor of a particular point of view and you know vote a particular direction in a parent-teacher meeting type of setting? Will your objective be, if you're doing this at university, get a really good mark on the topic in your class? Think about what you want to have different as a result of the presentation you're giving, and that should be crystal clear in your thinking about your creation of the material and your delivery of the presentation as well. So be clear what you want to actually do this presentation for. Number three is three main points. Here we get into situation, especially with people who don't have a lot of experience in the area of doing presentations, of trying to present too much. And not only do they try to present too much material, it's also structured in such a way that it's not really clear afterwards, if somebody were thinking about what you presented, what the key messages were. So whether you're presenting a lot of material or not, it always needs to be clear what, and I'm suggesting three is the right number, what the three key main messages are 
that you're trying to convey. And we get back to the, the previous point about what your objectives are. They should be, you know, kind of aligned. So that if you're going to be talking for some length of time, you want to start off at the beginning of the presentation, articulating the three main points that you'd like to leave them with. You want to go through your entire presentation reinforcing those points. And you can cover more than those three points, but you want to come back to, though, a reinforcement at the end of the presentation. In summary, these are the three main points I'd like to leave you with. And those could be the call to action. Those could be all the things that I just talked about with regard to the objectives. So make sure that whatever you're presenting, that you're very clear about what you want people to remember. Number four is duration. If you have a very typical length of time, let's say an hour, an hour's length of, of meeting time that you can be presenting at and for, plan to present for about half or even less than half of that time. It's very hard for beginning presenters to really get comfortable with that. They really think they need to jam the stuff in, but I won't have enough material for, for like a whole hour. The worst thing to get into is a situation where you have so much material and you're running out of time. People ask questions. You feel rushed even in answering the questions because you know you have X number of additional slides to get through before you get to the end of your presentation. And so you're rushing. You're not dealing with questions in a thorough manner. And you potentially can get to the end of the presentation and um, not have enough time to actually make, for example, the three main points again that I talked about a minute ago with regard to articulating the main messages. So you really need to pull back on what it is that you think you need to be presenting. It's quite appropriate to first create, uh, let's say, a set of charts and have a lot of them and then to pare it back to say, okay, look, you know what? This is, this is too much. I'm going to, I'm going to take half of these and really make sure that, uh, I cover all the main points. So you can go through the presentation in a more relaxed manner. When there are questions that come up, you can repeat the question, which by the way, is a very good technique to not only make sure that you have gotten the question right. It's also good to let others or particularly if it's a large uh, room you're in so they can hear uh, the question. Also, if you're on a conference call, you can repeat it because others may not have heard it. But it also gives you the opportunity to think through what your answer might be as well while you're repeating the, the, the question. So take the time to make sure that you have sufficient time to get through the presentation that you'd like to get through in a non-rushed manner and also be able to deal with questions. And as one of the quotes talked about, you want to make sure that, if anything, you finish early. And people are quite pleased with that. I think there's no worse situation than having a presenter up there just trying to go a mile a minute to get through their charts and getting all anxious. And the person that's running the meeting is getting anxious that they're going to be going over time. And it, it, you don't want to be in that situation. And the way to avoid that is to plan for it. Plan for presenting for less, t uh, at least less, less than half of the time that you actually have uh, to present. Number five concerns slides and overall structure. First of all, decide whether you would like to use slides at all. It isn't a given that you need to be using uh, slides in a presentation that is given. Uh, the whole point here is that you want to convey a message and 
some of the time, you may well want to not use any presentation slides at all. Most people do use slides in presentations, and it's sort of expected. But as a result, if you don't use slides, you get an interesting effect. The effect you get is, first of all, you're being novel. You're being different than the normal presentation. And you also get the opportunity of getting completely undivided attention on what it is that you're talking about. So you've now got a situation where there are no other distractions. It's only your voice. It's only you that they're looking at. And you have amazing power to influence them in the, what you're presenting. So it's, it, it's also more difficult because you also don't have any guidance unless you were to use some speaker notes or cards, three by five cards or whatever. But it's also a situation where it can be more difficult on you stress-wise because if you're not familiar with presenting to large audiences, let's say, and you were to do one without slides, then you've also got all eyeballs on you. And so it can be more stressful. But if you're used to doing, if you're in the category of being a fairly experienced presenter and you normally present using slides all the time, you may well want to try to mix it up a little and do a presentation and surprise people by not using slides at all and just make key points that you want to make. I know I've done that before in situations where I'd really like to just rally the troops, you know, really just get some, some real insight, some real motivation, uh, some real passion on a particular topic. And some of the time you can do that by just using your voice, your expression, your, you know, body language, and having the undivided attention of everyone in the audience. So consider that it isn't a foregone conclusion that you have to be using slides and it is a decision that you should be making. If you do use slides, the common question is how many should you have? And uh, the quote that I said earlier from Guy Kawasaki who talks about that you should have 10 slides and present for no more than 20 minutes, that's often a, a suggestion in terms of number of slides kind of per minute or number of minutes to spend per slide. But in my experience, those kinds of rules of thumb don't really work. And while they're, they're good to have as a starting point, you really need to determine the kinds of slides you create, how much you put on them. How long do you typically take to get through a slide? You really have to think through that as opposed to just using a rule of thumb. Because I've seen people use those rules of thumb and then just pack in a ton of stuff into a slide and then end up completely blowing, you know, their presentation because they took too simple an approach to come up with the number of slides that they needed. It's not a bad rule of thumb, but you got to really get into the situation where you understand yourself how much time you take on a slide. And as I'll say in a few points from now, you also need to actually determine that for real with the presentation that you're uh, coming up with as well. So we'll get, get to that in a, bit, a minute in terms of really determining the number of slides. But you should be, though, planning for far fewer than what you probably think you need. Number six is the topic of graphics versus text. Academic presentations, or at least they used to be the case, are often very, very text-heavy. I, I used to see presentations where professors would have 
jam-packed with, you know, tons of words and only words, you know, on, on a chart. And they felt, I think, that was very academic and and learned, but it wasn't very good at communicating um, because they would often actually read what was on those uh, slides. And there's nothing worse, I think, to completely lose an audience than to have a jam-packed presentation set of slides and then have the presenter read them. Uh, it's, it's painful for the audience and it's something at all costs that you should avoid. And one of the best ways to avoid not reading your slides is to not use an awful lot of text. The text you do include should be larger font, should also be really a pointer, a reminder for you and a pointer to the audience of the concept that you're going to be talking about. It shouldn't be the entire thing. You, as the presenter, need to deliver the message that that is a, a reminder for. It's also the case that graphics and photos and the like can be very effective. You know, visuals are typically engaging. We as human beings tend to gravitate towards visuals and photographs. And as a result, they're often a very good idea to include in a presentation. But you got to watch that you don't overdo it. Got to make sure that the visuals are relevant to the content that you're presenting. So if you're presenting something and there's a picture that absolutely is the, is the visualization of, of the idea that you're presenting, oh, that's ideal. And, you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre to not put in a present a picture of a of a concept or or something that you're talking about if you're talking about a product for example you better have a picture of it if you've got a picture there um, if you're talking about you know a new layout for something at a school uh, you you can describe it all you want but you know use a picture uh, it's worth a, th a thousand words as as the quote goes so truly use visuals where relevant also watch that you don't overdo it because it can make slides very, very busy, but really balance the amount of graphics, the amount of text, minimize your text, make sure that your, your visuals are, are, um, are appropriate, and also make sure that they're not cheesy, you know, make sure that they're, you know, somewhat professional looking. I think some years ago, there, there used to be um, clip art that um, when presentation packages first came out, a lot of the the clip art was really pretty cheesy and pretty weird uh, looking and very unprofessional. It was always to most people when you just use that. And a lot of the time that just makes it look even cheaper than if you uh, just had text. Now, the packages have improved and there's also many places that you can get, you know, visuals if you want to. If you're doing a really good uh, presentation, it's very important. Uh, you can also go and get uh, stock photos, for example, from uh, I go to iStock Photo uh, for uh, for my visuals where I really want to use a, a piece of art, a piece of design or a piece of photography to illustrate a point. Uh, you can get a really good professional uh, look by going to those places. You can also, also get it uh, Creative Commons uh, based visuals like that as well. But be a little cognizant of the quality of the visuals you're using because if they're really too low quality, you may well cheapen your overall presentation. It may actually be a distraction, you know, or if you've got some really ugly uh, piece of uh, a visual representation as well. Number seven 
is um, audio, video, and animation. So this is like putting a movie in or an audio uh, soundtrack, as well as the use of uh, animation. And my advice here is similar to the advice regarding graphics. This is one of these cases where if there is an example of what it is that you're talking about that you can put in as a little uh, movie, absolutely put it in. You could end up spending all kinds of time describing something when in actual fact you could just put a little movie in there and uh, just illustrate the point very, very quickly. Same thing with an audio segment if you're talking about the way you pronounce something well hey just just include that if you're talking about some music if you're talking about whatever uh, that is aud aud that has an auditory component to it absolutely put the audio in there it's fairly straightforward to do all of this now in the modern uh, presentation packages so include it where relevant make sure that it's done in a way that's uh, professional also make sure that you know how to work it if, if it needs to just have a little, uh, little hot spot for clicking on and then it'll automatically start, then uh, uh, make sure you do the work up front to make sure that's working. The worst possible thing that can happen as you add more of these kinds of things to a presentation is for the technical difficulties to, to really derail you. Uh, there's nothing that'll get you off topic, that'll get you all flustered more than some technical difficulties. So realize that as you're adding more of these kinds of things, you're also increasing the complexity, the risk of things going wrong. So you wanna make sure that you have gone through all the steps to make sure that it's gonna work properly and also plan for if it doesn't work. You know, if that video doesn't play, what do you do? Just go ahead and describe it. Don't, don't keep fussing with trying to get it to work. Uh, you'll totally lose the the audience. So definitely include that. The other um, advice regarding animations, you can now in all these modern presentation packages include text flying in from the top right or, you know, blind effects and all kinds of stuff. And uh, some of these can be effective. Uh, animation, uh, just like I said with visuals earlier, they can grab the attention if you want to draw attention to a particular part of a slide, for example. But my advice again stands to not overdo it. You might do it a bit. You might want to, like I say, draw attention to a particular thing. But if everything on every slide is flying in and resolving and checkerboard, you know, appearing and all that kind of stuff, that can just be a huge distraction. And you'll have more of your audience watching these visual effects than actually concentrating on the content. So use them sparingly. Use them effectively and think through what effect you're actually trying to have. Don't use them just because they're there. Don't use them gratuitously. Number eight is humor. You know, I had a quote about this as well. Uh, humor is good in particular for breaking the ice. If you want to start off with like a, you know, a Dilbert or something like that at the beginning of a presentation, that can be effective. It's a good way to, like I say, if, if you're a bit nervous and, you know, let's say the audience, you don't really know them. It's a good way to sort of break the ice and, and get things uh, moving. Make sure that it's relevant, though. Some of the time people just include these just because they are somehow part of a, a structure that they, they think they need in presentations. Don't use it if it isn't relevant. If it's really relevant and it's really quite funny, um, it's a good way to sort of get started. 
It's also good, if you're able to, as the quote said, to use humor in dealing with, with hecklers, or if you have a, a question, uh, or it's an uncomfortable question that you don't really have a good answer to, or you want to deal with later offline or whatever. It's, it's appropriate if you're comfortable with being kind of funny on your feet to be able to deal with those kinds of situations. But again, this all has to be done in moderation. I've seen some presentations where like every third slide is some humorous slide and that gets tiring unless you're actually doing a comedy routine <laughs> you know you really i think need to use this sparingly but it can be effective at certain times number nine is to practice and by practice i don't mean just flipping through the charts and you know thinking through them now that's still important too. think through what you're going to be talking about but that's not really what i mean by by practice especially if you're just starting out or if you're doing a new type of presentation or there's something novel about it, it's a really good idea to get right in the role and find somebody to present to. It might be a colleague, it might be a fellow student, you know, it might be the, your friend down the, down the street. Just do a trial run through of the presentation with everything that's in it. And when I say be in the role, what I mean is, not to present it in a way that I'm now going to be presenting this and then next I'll present this. No, no, no. Don't do it in the third person. Do it as if you're actually doing the presentation. Actually get up there and say, good morning, everyone. What I'd like to speak about today is, and do your, your exact presentation the way that you would do it. You'll be able to time it. And this is what I was referring to earlier when you want to determine how many slides to have and that while rules of thumb can be effective, that it's no replacement for actually doing a real dry run and finding out that you've got twice as many slides as you would want to have because you're spending a lot of time on each chart and you've actually got lots of material on each chart. So you want to make sure you do it for that purpose. You also want to do it for you know, testing out if you've got some animation in there, if you've got a video that's got to run. Well, hey, that, now's the time to practice it, make sure it's actually working. Right, on the very computer that you'll be using to do the uh, presentation as well. And it also gets you the practice of actually doing it. As I've said many times in this podcast series, a lot of time we don't give enough thought to practicing certain things that really need practice. We're very, very comfortable with the notion that if you're doing a sport, you know, you got to learn how to swing a bat, for example, in terms of the baseball situation. You can't just, nobody would, would just assume that, well, you'd be able to walk up there, pick up a bat and go up to bat and, and swing and, and hit a home run. And nobody would, would, would assume that. Everybody would assume that you got to go and learn how to do it. You know, the stance, you know, how do you hold on to the bat? What should your swing be? What are you going to look for? And very importantly, just practice, practice, practice. The only way anybody gets good at stuff like that is to actually practice it, to concentrate and have somebody else even also look at the way that you're doing it and providing advice on other things to try differently. Now, we're very accepting of doing that kind of thing when, it ta when we're talking about things like sports, but we often strangely assume that when you're talking about something like doing a presentation that all you need to do is create the, the, the charts and stand up there and deliver it 
Well, that's the same as walking onto a baseball field and just picking up a bat and expecting to hit a home run. Doesn't work like that. You need to actually practice. You need to make sure that you are not only the one time before a presentation, you know, practicing it, also paying attention to when you do a presentation, think about it afterwards and think, okay, what did I do? How did I, how did that work? And maybe I can improve that next time and ask some friends, people that you trust who are in the audience for their advice with regard to what worked well, what could be improved in the future as well. This whole area really needs to have a lot of focus and you can get really good at it. And people that are really good at presentations often are really, really good at whatever it is that they're doing, whether they're at university, whether it's a home type situation or a work type situation. Presentations are incredibly important and being able to do them well is really important as well. And to get really good at it, you got to practice. Number 10 is to focus on the delivery itself. When you go to do the presentation, you want to make sure that you speak more slowly and with a greater volume than you think you should. Now, this is a really important point, especially if you're not that experienced doing presentations. If you're going to be nervous, you will naturally speak more quickly. You'll also speak more quietly and all the presentation preparation that you've done, you've done everything else, the other nine points that we just talked about, and all of them can be for naught. If your voice is not able to be heard, and if your words are not able to be understood. So you want to make sure when you do a presentation to speak way more slowly than you would expect that you should. It'll feel weird when you first do it. And you have to also do it more loudly than you would naturally think you should as well. And I think that what you really need to do in this environment is focus on the volume of delivery and the speed of delivery much, much more slowly than you would naturally expect that you should. Now, in addition to speaking more slowly and with a greater volume, in terms of delivery, you should also periodically throughout your presentation, check with the audience to see if they have any questions, whether what you're presenting is clear to them. I think it's a really good practice actually on a regular basis to say, now, d does this make sense to you? Is this, uh, anybody have any, any questions, you know, while I'm, while I'm going here? The reason why you want to do that is it, first of all, it breaks it up. So it's not just entirely you delivering the whole time. It also engages your audience more in the sense that they know that they're part of this, that they're not just there watching a TV program where they're a passive recipient of the presentation. It brings them in and makes them more uh, engaged in the presentation itself. It also gives you the option of uh, being not on uh, for a little bit of time, just getting the focus off of yourself. It also has the benefit of making sure that they are with you. And it, it has a strange effect when you ask questions like, does this make sense? This works in a small setting. It can still even work in a larger setting as well, where you, when you ask that kind of question, even the tacit agreement to it 
strangely has the effect of having people almost having admitted that they sort of agree or that they're with you uh, moving forward, uh, as opposed to, you know, just sitting there passively observing. Uh, Now, the last benefit of asking for questions and interrupting the flow of what you're presenting and asking if it makes sense and the like, if there is something that somebody or maybe everybody doesn't get or isn't with you on, rather than waiting till the entire end of the presentation, they can also ask that question or ask for that point of clarification. And that gives you the option or the opportunity, I should say, for clarifying what might not have been clear. And what a great opportunity to do that if you really hadn't made one point particularly well. And also if there's a question, often when one person has a question, lots of other people have that same question. And so answering it will be even that much more effective. It's something that you may have forgotten to include in the presentation. It may have been a a misinterpretation uh, or assumption that you made off the top of preparing for your presentation with regard to your audience, that you were assuming that they knew something that they didn't, in fact. Well, what better opportunity during the presentation itself to fix that kind of a problem by addressing missing information when you get at or when you ask the audience for does this make sense is this clear do you have any questions periodically throughout the presentation and of course again at the end so that's the overall topic of presentations Uh, i think it's a incredibly important area of focus that i think everybody should work on getting a lot better at And I hope these 10 ideas that I've provided you will provide you some insight and some things to think about and to work on when you do your next presentation as well. Now, I wanted to just mention too, it's been a while since the last podcast and I'm going to, over the next while, have the intention of of delivering these again on a more frequent basis than I have over the last while. But as a result, though, it just did have quite a few bits of feedback from uh, all of you. And of course, I really enjoy getting that kind of feedback. And I've gotten it in uh, in Facebook messages and iTunes comments and emails to me, a variety of different sources. But I just wanted to share some of those uh, with you. And I typically uh, will only use uh, first names for the people that have written into me in a variety of the places that you do. The first bit of feedback is from Javon, and that's via a Facebook message, and he says, I listen to your Life Habits podcast just about daily, and I truly appreciate what you do. Great tips for life, loyal listener, Javon. Thanks so much, Javon, for for that comment and, and, and reaching out and providing that as well. I wanted to just make the point, too, that the podcasts that and the episodes that I've created, now 35 of them, are all still available in iTunes as well as on lifehabits.net and also on uh, the uh, Zune uh, Marketplace. Despite it being called Marketplace and iTunes Store, of course, they are free. But I wanted to make the point that I try to create these so that they are somewhat timeless, meaning you don't need to be listening to them in a particular order. It's also the case that they're not relevant necessarily to a particular set of events that have happened in the world or anything. So it's not like they are uh, somehow old 
if you listen to a podcast that was created a year ago. They are intended to be standalone, they're intended to deliver ideas that are appropriate for any time, and to listen in any any order. So if you're a relatively new listener to this uh, podcast series, by all means go and click the subscribe button in iTunes or the Zoom store and uh, collect all of the uh, previous episodes. And just clicking on subscribe doesn't actually download all of them. Typically, when you subscribe, you only get one or two, I think, but you have to explicitly actually get the rest of them as well. And you can download them or you can listen to them on the website as well. But just wanted to encourage you if you haven't done that, no number of you do, but just wanted to remind you that if you are just a new subscriber to the podcast that you can go back and listen to all of them and I try to make all of them available in all the places that we talk about. I also got a, a bit of feedback from Inca in the the Australian iTunes store and uh, Inca writes an excellent podcast for those interested in self-improvement. None of the American hype normally associated with these types of podcasts, just simple practical information presented in a professional and relating manner, well worth listening to. So thanks so much, Inca, for that. Also, via the website, I had a comment, Carl, thank you for your piece on fostering creativity. It was a gentle introduction to living in an inspired and connected life. I look forward to listening to your other podcasts. They're all loaded on my iPod. Keep up the inspired work, Carl. Cheers, Claudine. So thanks so much, Claudine, for that. And also, via the website, Christine writes, Hi, Carl. I discovered your podcast almost a year ago. Since then, I listened to all 32 episodes and some more than once. I wanted to tell you that this discovery came at the right moment in my life and that you became a friendly voice in my everyday life, giving me lots of things to think about. I really also enjoy the quotes at the beginning of them. Best regards, Christine. So, Christine, thanks so much for that feedback. It, it really does make doing these kind of sessions all that more valuable to me in creating these that I quite enjoy providing these and, and putting these together but it's most and it's and it's encouraging to see the kind of downloads and the kind of popularity and as I've said many times before this is really quite dramatically increasing in the number of people that are listening to this podcast series but in addition to the numbers what's really ma- meaningful is these very personal accounts of the feedback that uh, you give me. And I do, when I read these, by the way, I do edit them a little, just taking out some of the personal details, but just wanted to though, communicate to all of you some of the kinds of feedback that we've been getting. There was uh, another one uh, via the website. Uh, Laura writes, Hi, Carl. Thank you so much for providing such an amazing service. Your podcasts have helped me so much in the last four days that I've been listening to them. These podcasts are superbly excellent, valuable topics, relevant issues, very intelligent and professional. I can't say enough good things. Jesse writes via email, a fantastic episode. This one came at a really good time. I'm about to leave for university, so I will be leaving behind my family and meeting all sorts of new people, my roommates, classmates, professors, etc., all of which are people I need to foster good relationships with whilst maintaining my relationships from home, including my parents and old friends. Thank you for your advice. I'll be sure to try my best to implement these steps. Please keep up the great work, Carl. And lastly, Terry writes via email, Thank you so much for this site. I love your quotes. 
So lots and lots of additional feedback. There's also some others that just came in recently that I'll, I'll read on, su- on subsequent uh, episodes. In fact, some of the advice also is leading to particular topics that we'll be doing in future episodes as well. So I'd like to, in fact, encourage you to go to uh, write to me at lifehabits at gmail.com. You can use that mechanism, provide feedback, as well as if you have any ideas for additional topics. Like I said, I've just got a couple of uh, recent ones in, and I'll also uh, read those uh, emails as they relate to the topics when I present them. You can also uh, provide feedback as well as actually get on the web the delivery of these podcast episodes via lifehabits.net. You can also get it, obviously, in the iTunes store. Just search for Life Habits with no space between them. If you happen to uh, get these from another form uh, right now, and you can also get them in the Zoom, Zoom store, as I mentioned several times now. You can also follow me on Twitter. So that's twitter.com slash Carl Vredenberg, my name with no space between. And also you can uh, join me on Facebook, uh, where, again, I'm uh, Carl Vredenberg. So with all of that, Thank you ever so much for all of the feedback that you've provided. Also, thanks so much for your continuing interest and support of this podcast series. I really, really appreciate it. Do continue to provide feedback. Thanks for listening to this episode and all the best on working on your presentation uh, skills and preparation and the like that we talked about during this episode. And we'll talk to you all next time and bye for now.